it's all in the wrist. When I was, when I was young, I got the chance to go see Joe Humphreys give a presentation and uh, I've met him many times since, but cause he's just up the road from us, but he gave a presentation one time and he was doing a casting presentation. He said, pretend you have a newspaper, stick that newspaper under your arm and don't let it fall. Don't drop that newspaper from under your arm and now, and now fish. And that's the way I teach my clients whenever I'm, whenever I'm guiding them, you're anything, keep that newspaper tucked under your arm and you control your rod angle with your wrist. Everything is in your wrists. That was Sean Holsinger providing a great tip to help on your next Euro nymphing trip. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. In today's episode, I talk with Sean Holsinger from Holsinger's Fly Shop. Sean gets into some helpful fly tying tips for uh, stoneflies and Euronips, describes how he stretches his mind and some tips on efficiency and proportions when tying. Uh, we get into the turd stone, the hot spot stone, the waltz worm, his favorite thread and vice are all on tap today. Don't miss this one as Sean gives us the best resource uh, you'll need if you're ever he- heading out to uh, PA this, this year. So, without further ado, here's Sean Holsinger. How's it going, Sean? Good, really good. How about you? Good, good, uh, good to have you on here. We've been uh, talking for a little while, um, you know, and it's great to get you back on here, or <laughs> to get you on here to talk about some fly tying. Um, you know, I, I was just mentioning this off air that I'm going to eventually be going into a full fly tying season. So this is kind of the initial test to see, you know, how it flows. And, you know, I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of your home streams as well. But um, before we get into all the fly tying and how you built this, uh, you know, your YouTube channel stuff, can you talk about how you first got into fly fishing and fly tying? Sure. I'm actually, uh, what, 44 years old now. I started when I was 12. Uh, my father and I had a friend that my dad would work with and he taught us how to swing wet flies 30 some years ago. And that got us started, which, you know, we transitioned into, well, back in the eighties, you didn't have a lot of material and stuff out there and flies were expensive and you ended up tying, tying your own fly. So we started tying right away whenever we got into it. And it, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, it's like most other things you, you get into it and you get out of it, but you always come back to it. And I've come back strong this time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How, how, but, no, yeah. And the, the fly shop. So how, when did that start? Um, we've been, we've had the fly shop for, right close to 10 years now we've been uh in our building for about seven but we was working out of a spare bedroom in my parents house for a good while when we first got it started and we quickly outgrew that so mm-hmm. so about 10 years and then so when you so you've been yeah, obviously fly fishing most of your life you get into the fly shop when did all the um you know you get into the youtube i know that's a big part of what you have going have you been doing that since you started um, since we started the fly shop, yes, we, uh, a kind of little background on the shop, how we got into it and it all got started. Um, my dad was a commercial tire for doing some tying for Eric Straup. And, uh, if you know anything about commercial tying to be a commercial tire and make any money at all at it, you have to have, um, you have to be set up with the dealerships and you have to be in line with the, 
all your suppliers so you can get stuff at wholesale instead of having to pay retail. If you pay retail for it, you could never, you, you wouldn't be making any money at it. Not that you make a lot of money to begin with, yeah. but, um, we, one of our dealers was whiting. We were whiting dealer at the time. And, uh, Steven Tyler decided to put chicken feathers in his hair and hmm. started the big feather craze. Well, we were sitting there at the house, you know, dad was tying and, and my dad is, a little bit of a hoarder when it comes to fly tying material. And uh, <laughs> he was before we had the shop. Now it's really bad. But uh, I can't say nothing because I have a big wall of it too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my dad was collecting a bunch of saddles and stuff. So he had everything for when he was tying. And I said to dad, I said, listen, you're sitting on a gold mine there. We should try selling some of these saddles to the to the beauty salons. <laughs> and uh we started putting them online on eBay and we were getting five, $600 for no kidding. Yeah. For, you know, just a regular old pro grade saddle. <laughs> and, um, so my dad, uh, being the wise businessman, he invested all that back into more material. And, uh, eventually, you know, we started spreading out into different kinds of fly tying material. And that's how the shop came about and how we started out in the, you know, we started out by selling saddles on eBay, and then we just started selling other stuff, and it just kept growing and yeah. growing to the point where we're at now. Wow! So you started. So that's a pretty cool story. And, and now, do you uh, are you still selling to uh, you know folks like Steve and Tyler? Uh, <laughs> we we have we haven't really sold. We, every now and then, we sell some overseas. We have some people that you know deal with overseas customers there's a little bit of that still going on overseas but that's long gone here now okay okay cool well yeah we might we might jump back into some of that a little bit later i did want to get into a little bit on you know try to narrow this down a little bit to um you know some of the stonefly i know you have a few of your patterns uh some patterns that are out there and things like that um but can you talk first you know about you know kind of when you tie what you enjoy more most tying what types of flies um, I, I always, it's kind of funny. I, I'm not the commercial tire, but I'm the one that actually ends up doing a lot of the tying for the shop. Um, it, it's, I can't sit down and do one thing over and over and over and over again. Commercial tying drives me nuts. Yeah. And, uh, I always end up going back to, I'll, I'll tie an order when I'm finished with an order. I always tie a streamer or a stone fly is the two things that I like to tie the most. Mm -hmm. And, it's kind of funny. My progression with my stone flies has, has really changed with my, with my tying ability and my mentality of fishing. It, um, I'm slowly working on writing an article. I want to, I want to call it the evolution of my stone fly and how I started tying stones, you know, old school way with feathers for legs and your woven bodies and that kind of stuff and how it progressed into the synthetics with lively legs or I use a lot of Hemingway legs on my big stone flies mm -hmm. and a, a lot of synthetics to make a real natural realistic looking fly but it's a shallow water fly you know if I can't wade in and get it I'm, I'm not going to fish something that took me 15-20 minutes <laughs> to tie mm -hmm. and cool. uh and as, as my tying progressed and then I started getting into Euro nymphing and which I do a lot of now, my fly has progressed even further and it's went simpler and simpler to the point where I have no legs on it now. And it's just a tail to buy it wings and a body and a little bit of dubbing for the thorax. And I catch way more fish on it 
because I'm getting down to the bottom quicker. And you, yeah. once you learn the mechanics of it, 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 it's funny how I've progressed through my tying by progressing through my fishing. Yeah, no, that's a, that's cool. That's, I love the way you lay that out and you're nipping. I've had, uh, we've had a couple of shows on Euro nipping and that definitely is always a big hot topic. It uh, gets a lot of listens and things. What, what do you think, you know, if you think of, I mean, that's the thing. They're so simple, right? That the Euro nipping, you know, the flies thing, are there specific, you know, stonefly patterns just for that? What you would call a Euro nymph, uh, more of a Euro nymph type of pattern? Um, really, uh, Josh Miller has a great one, the beach body stone. It's real simple. My, uh, hotspot stone which is super simple it's just you know two two biots for the tail uh stretch tube for the body a little bit of dubbing for the thorax and two pieces of biots on for the wing case and it's just made to cut through the water so it has that you know euro fly euro style fly profile to it and nothing to hold it back like lively legs and hemingway legs are great they make a really realistic fly but they act like a parachute compared to you know a nice beadhead hot spot stone or something gotcha so that's i mean there's so basically there's no comparison even if somebody wasn't euro nymphing if they're just nymphing is there i mean when would be a reason to tie a, a a nymph you know a stonefly nymph that, that actually looks more realistic for me it, it was a lot of well it's funny i always joke around when i tie at shows I, I tie at shows on the east coast here and uh when i tie i always mainly tie stoneflies because that's what most people know me for and when i'm sitting at a show i'm tying with a lot of my synthetics and stuff like that synthetic legs because people want to see that because it looks realistic at you know, it kind of proves the point that I have the ability to tie, but you know, the motto of Euro nymph flies is guess, keep it stupid, simple. Yep. And you know, the quicker you can tie it, the more time you're on the water, the more of it, you're going to lose them. You don't want to be losing something you'd spent 15 minutes on. You, you know, if I'm out and I spent two minutes on something, well, I ain't <laughs> going to screw the hole. Let's just bust it off. Yep. Yeah, no, that's right. That that is. I mean, it's amazing. The Euro thing is just seems like it just makes things so much, so much easier when you're tying your those flies. Um, and how many patterns do you have? You know, if you again, you're thinking about your your stone fly nips. So say, Ooh. I mean, for example, let's take think your what is your home? You know, stream or what what's the stream that, that you might fish stone flies in over there? It's actually pretty funny. Um, I actually fish stoneflies everywhere. Okay. Even if the stream doesn't have stoneflies in it, I still fish stoneflies. Oh, there you go. There's a stream in front of our shop, which is called the Prankstown Branch of the Juniata River. And uh, it flows right in front of our shop. The place where my shop is was actually my great-grandmother's farm, farmstead. Cool. And um, my dad inherited it. We built the shop there and I grew up playing in that stream from as long as I can remember playing under that bridge and caught crayfish and everything under the sun out of that creek. And I cannot remember in my 40 some years ever seeing a stonefly in that creek, <laughs> but I, I catch fish like crazy on a stonefly in there because of the presentation. Okay. So, I mean, this, this just goes, you know, uh, you know, we've talked a lot on entomology as well, you know, uh, had a, at least one en- entomologist on. And, uh, I mean, does this all fly in the face of that? Does it basically just come down to, doesn't really matter what insects are out there. It matters more getting the fly down in the right pattern, even if it's not, even if it doesn't match the hatch sort of thing or well, not the hatch, but the aquatic, you know, invertebrates. 
I believe there's a lot to that. I think that there is a, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with presentation moreover than h- how you put the fly in front of the fish's face rather than what you're putting in front of the fish's face. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you put it in front of the fish's face, it's going to eat, if it looks natural and it looks like something he would eat any other time, he's going to eat it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so I, I totally feel that like stoneflies, I'll fish them everywhere just because I know that it's a natural looking thing to the fish. And if you put it in, you know, presentation way over your, whatever your fly is matching the hatch, you know, most of my tying, actually, I always joke around. If you would put my box beside my dad's box, you would know whose box was whose because mine's all flashy and hot colors and my dad's is all natural colors. <laughs> mine's all colors that doesn't really occur, you know, yep. under the rock in the stream. But I catch a lot of fish on it because I think it's just catching their eye and yep. and it's presentation. And, and, and who catches more fish? Oh, we have our days. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I have a lot of the connections on the stream with guys and I'm out guiding more often and stuff. So, and I have a lot of friends that are in the business or in the competition, stuff like that. And I've learned a lot over the years and I pass it on to my dad and he picks it up quickly. So yeah, now hands down, my son outfishes us both. Really? Yeah. I've taught, I've taught him how to fish and he blows us both away. How old's your son? Um, he is 16 now. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. He's right yeah. in it. That's awesome. So he's out there and he's, he's, uh, competing in, in, in that whole thing. Um, he did do a little bit of competing last year. He didn't do it any this year yet. Uh, I'm not sure. If, well, we did do one tournament together this year. Yeah. That's right. But, um, he's not the competitive kind of person, but un- unless he's out with people he knows, he, he's not a, he doesn't like to compete against other people, but his friends, he's very competitive against his friends. Gotcha. Okay. No, this is, this is good. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely, it sounds like, you know, I'd like to, you know, definitely we're going to get into some more of the flight tying, but uh, maybe before we get there, can you just chat about a little bit on, you know, t- thinking about the, uh, the Juanita river, I guess there, your home river, you know, how the, just quickly, how you fish, you know, catch those on nymphs, I guess the Euro nymphing style what, what that takes, is that pretty simple? Sure. Um, actually it's funny. You said that, um, it, it's the Juniata river. Oh yeah. J- Juniata. Juniata, yeah. Everybody from outside well, of the area. That's Juanita. Juanita. Yeah. Because <laughs> is it spelled the same? No, there's no A at the beginning, only at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Juniata. Okay, got it. Got it. Yep. But uh, no, don't worry about it because everybody does. It. I know. I was thinking um, when you said it, I was thinking, gosh, why did somebody name a, a river in a Spanish name? And so, <laughs> yeah, cool. All right. Uh, but it, it is a, it's one of those destination spots. It's, it's a great river. It's very hard to fish. It's very, um, very pressured river. I actually, I don't guide on it hardly at all because I know other areas that I can catch a lot more fish at. And there's other areas. The, one of the rivers that flows into the, to the little Juniata when it, makes the big juniata is the frankstown branch um our shop sits at the headwaters of it but probably 30 miles downstream from there it's it's a mirror image of the little juniata has the same hatches and no crowds hmm. so i often you know if it's a the sulfur hatch and the granum hatch are two of the big hatches on the little juniata 
And when they're coming off, it's you go early, you get a par- parking spot, you wait at your hole, wait for the hatch to come. And that's, yeah. I like the fish. I don't, you know, that's not my style of fishing. So I kind of shy away from the pressured water and uh, fish a lot of other water that's, and also I have a, it's a rather large, it's, it's a river. And for me, sometimes in my head, I have a problem breaking a river down into a stream where I like to go fish my mountain streams and where I can break that water down, know where the fish is going to be, make a cast and catch a fish. When I get into a big river, like the little Juniata, I sometimes have a trouble finding the small stream in the big river. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and, and how big is the, uh, the little, uh, Juniata? Little J is probably, oh, uh, some of the wider spots easily 40, 50 yards wide. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's pretty decent. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a decent sized river. I mean, it bottlenecks down some gets into some real deep holes in places and it's a, it's a limestone stream. So it, it has good temperature, good water quality. And there's actually some books wrote about it. Like it's a, um, we have, I have a podcast and we had a guy on, we didn't get the, the episode out yet, but he was one of the guys instrumental in bringing, helping bring back the Juniata, the little Juniata, the little quality it is now. Back in the 70s, there was paper mills and different things that just had polluted it to, it was, you know, like Lake, Lake, Lake Erie, a dead right. sea. And um, it's now there's hatches there. There's incredible hatches. There's the Granum hatch. Last year, we fished a Granum hatch, and I was talking with my dad, and I said, look at the look at a film on the top of the water. And, and he looked at it, and I, thought it was foam on the top of the water i said that's the casings of the hatch granums there there was literally a film of them floating down the water there was that granums and which and and what are and the granums are what type of insect is that it is a caddis caddis okay yeah so we're talking caddis yep yeah it's our first first real hatch of the spring um whenever you see the forsythia in bloom you, you know you have have your granums ready oh cool Okay. It's and, funny how yeah. uh, funny how we you tell you tell things by yep. events like granums or for Sethia. That may, Fourth of July is Japanese beetles. <laughs> it makes sense though because it's funny we we in a world especially with this digital madness that we have, you know, everybody's in this other world but I mean really the natural world is what every, all the other critters live by. So, you know, it just oh, makes, yeah. it makes sense that we should you know, connect more to that. Um, you mentioned the book uh, or a book about the, uh, the little J do you, do you have a, a name or, or of a book or some resource that somebody can find if they wanted to you know, catch a few more fish there? Yeah. If you give me a second, yeah. um, I grab the book, but, uh, there's a lot of great books out there. One of the best books that I've used over the years has been, um, Charlie Mack's book, uh, Keystone streams and their hatches. I believe it's called. Oh, cool. And it's, it's from the seventies and eighties, but it's still, I think it was reprinted in the eighties or something. And it names all the streams in Pennsylvania and goes into, you know, list their hatches and when they come off and stuff like that. It's a great book. Um, I can't find that book that I was thinking of. The author of it is, give me a second on that too, but it's little J boomer and the little J or something like that. Yeah. Anyhow, I can, it's a. Uh, I can track it down. I'll, I'll yeah. check with you and add it to the show notes if I can find it. Uh, That's right. I'll find it here at the end and, and get back to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. Um, 
so uh, yeah, no, this is good. So we're sort of move, moving along here, and and obviously stoneflies, and we're talking nymphs. Um, if we're talking on the surface, do you, do you tie a lot of dry flies, and are there any stoneflies that you would recommend for that area that that are kind of go to stone? Uh, you know, if there's a hat. Well, I guess there is, is there. You mentioned there aren't any hatches on the on the little J because there aren't any stoneflies. But are you fishing dries anywhere? Well, there is stoneflies on on the Little J on the Frankstown branch where the shop is. We don't have it. Oh, gotcha. Um, actually, we don't really fish stoneflies here, especially in our area of the state. But I don't really know a lot of people in the Pennsylvania area that fishes a dry fly stonefly. We just don't have a real hatch of them. We have them in our stream, but we don't have like the salmon fly hatch out west or anything like that. So we have uh, I. One thing I can always, one picture I always have is uh, one of the streams by our shop, which is Yellow Creek, and there's a fly fishing only section on it that's really popular in Bedford County. And there's a lot of stoneflies in that stream. And there's a bridge right by the New Frontier restaurant, which is a popular stop for the fishermen because it's right close to the fly fishing zone. Um, under that bridge, every summer gets covered with casings of stoneflies where they emerge, crawl up on the up on the wall of the bridge under underneath it and you know erupt emerge from their casing and fly off but you never see the stonefly in the air it's kind of funny you you'll see them but you don't see anything feeding on them because it's not it's not a huge hatch gotcha gotcha so that, I mean, that, I mean, it kind of simplifies it really for you guys because now you know you're under the surface, so that's that's easy. I mean, it's easier to, and then also you're doing the Euro style, which also makes tying easier. It seems yep. like you've you've kind of simplified the whole process. I mean, so if somebody's coming in there new to it, or maybe they're you know struggling a little bit, you'd probably just get them into the Euro and you know and kind of head them in that direction. Yeah, we do a lot of Euro now. As the summer starts to roll around here, we'll switch more into dry dropper. Um, a lot of CDC dries and, uh, you know, just simple dry dropper rigs because, and it works really well because as summer comes, we're switching down into a lot of zebra midges, really small waltz worms, 16s, 18s, you know, so yep. uh, okay. a CDC, a CDC caddis or something, hold those up. No problem at all. And, and, and you'll get, you know, you'll get a lot of takes on on that too so we have a lot of caddis in our area yeah so lots of caddis okay and uh, and not as many uh mayflies is that is that a big uh, part of the you know the, the food we, chain we have some really good hatches we have some really good mayfly hatches they tend to be more april may early june um and then they kind of peter out except for the blue winged olives you know we have blue winged olives that hatch spring and fall um, great sulfur hatches here, green drakes. You can follow the green drakes for about a month. They go yeah. up upstate. Yep. They'll start around Memorial day down, uh, like Bedford County on yellow Creek. And every week it'll, you know, it'll be yellow Creek, the little J pens Creek, cattle Creek, just straight up, straight up the state. Gotcha. Okay. So it's kind of fun if you want to plan a vacation. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Um, so on the, you know, back to, you know, the flies, I guess a little bit on the fly tying. So if you were going to, you know, somebody wanted to tie some stone flies, I guess maybe we can even start with the Euro uh, kind of style. Um, do you have any tips to, to help, you know, if somebody's sitting down and wants to, t- maybe they haven't tied a lot of the, done a lot of Euro nymphing, what, what would you recommend, you know, for making sure they, they tie a good pattern? 
Well, there's a couple keys to urine nymphs. One thing is, is if you're urine nymphing, you're not putting any weight in your line. So you want your weight in your fly. So, you know, get a heavy enough bead that's going to get you down and then tungsten keep it as thin. Are they all, uh, tungsten bead. Yeah. yeah. I, I haven't tied with brass in quite a while. Yep. And, uh, Tungsten bead, get it down there and keep it thin. That's the big key because once you start to realize that the wider you make it, the slower it falls, the slower it falls, the less time it's in the fish's face. Yep. So when you find, when you put all that in order in your head, and that's one of the hardest things I think when I started Euro nymphing was understanding how now I'm fishing a single size 16 or size 18 fly i'm not even fishing tandem a lot of time and it goes straight to the bottom without any weight hmm. and because of the leader system with the you know the fluorocarbon tippet and the light weight tippet yep. and stuff like that it'll go right to the bottom and that was hard for me to grasp and understand but once once i did that then everything started to fall into place and i started catching a lot of fish yeah, exactly so and and now you pretty much just Focus on. Are there are there other fly patterns you know that you you people you know that still would work that are you know if we stick in that stone fly uh, stone fly realm that are you know you'd recommend uh, other than the euro, euro style. If if you get out of the stone flies and get into um, waltz worms, really simple, you know. And actually, Walt Young lives fifteen miles from oh, cool. our shop here. The, the guy that invented it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's. There's a lot of, that's a really simple fly thread body flies. I tie a lot of thread body flies and just change the color to match the hatch. Um, you know, just thread a piece of wire, a little bit of cocktailio on tail and uh -huh. dubbing thorax and you're done. So it's just simple stuff. That's the main key to it is you want to keep it simple and thin and, uh, stone flies are a blast to tie, but my main reason for them for tying them is just to stretch my mind you know what i'm saying like i when you sit down and you tie the same wet fly 40 times that gets kind of monotonous to me so i want to think well how can i do something better and usually it's a stone fly or a streamer where my mind starts mm -hmm. to starts to spin or i work part-time at a sheets distribution we have sheets convenience stores here on the east coast and uh, i work at the distribution center drive a fork truck a lot and a lot of times when i'm sitting around driving the fork truck by myself that's what i'm thinking well how can i do this better you know i'm it's funny that my mind runs on fishing my wife drives my <laughs> wife's nuts she has to start a conversation with fish and then i'll listen to her she says <laughs> really so that's you're always <laughs> you can't you can't disconnect you're always you've always got fish on your mind a lot of times yeah 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 that's, but, that's cool but any, any with tying you know when I started tying 30 years ago, if you wanted to learn how to tie, you had to go to the local Trout Unlimited chapter, sit down with those guys, you know, or hope you had a friend like we had that taught us how. And uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of resources out there 30, 20, even 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, now the world's at your fingertips with the computer and YouTube and everything else my channel alone i have 200 and close to 270 videos out there wow. 16 i just i just looked i have 16 videos just on stonefly no kidding and yeah, what's so i have 16 different ways to tie stoneflies that's cool and what out of those videos do you have any idea which one is maybe the most viewed or, or is the most popular or is there one you would recommend that to for somebody to watch to to learn how to do it 
Um, there's a couple that I would recommend from anybody. A turd stone is a very simple, you know, yep. it's just chenille and rubber legs and it'll catch you a lot of fish. The Euro guys use that a lot. Um, my hot spot stone, which I have a video and I tied it on Tim Camisa's channel too. Yep. So if you look up hot spot stone, that's a really good one. That's probably the one that I use more than any. And I use it for trout, smallmouth, anything, you know, that it, it catches fish. If I love to use a stone fly for smallmouth. Yeah. I were a nymph for smallmouth and we kill them. Oh, no kidding. So you, you go yes. for, for smallmouth as well. And you're, so you're. Same, same thing. Are there any differences in smallmouth versus trout? Um, no, I Euro nymph it the same way. I find a nice riffle and that I know holds fish. And we actually have a, we have a river, the Racetown branch of the Juniata after the, it flows into the little Juniata and all that system too. But, um, below the Racetown, the Racetown Lake, they, uh, big spillway there they put a bunch of trout in it a couple of years ago and i love fishing there one cast you'll catch a trout the next catch you'll catch a smallmouth you never know what you're gonna get that's cool and uh, it's all doing the same euro nymphing technique and stone flies are a killer on them because it's just something that's natural and what they're used to seeing nice nice what um do you have any uh, i had a couple of questions in the uh in the facebook group uh you know we have here and one of them is on efficiency i guess that's a common struggle with people you know and i guess thinking of you know when you're tying how do you not waste materials do you, do you have anything that comes to mind when you know you get that that you do to kind of avoid wasting materials sure i tie in stages that's one of the biggest things i do to to save material and save time is I'll tie in stages like since we're talking about it, my hotspot stone. Yeah, I put all the beads on. If I'm going to tie a dozen of them, I'll put a dozen beads on, and then I'll go in and I will. The hotspot on the fly is actually a ball at the back of the at the back of the fly that I use to split the bias to make my splayed tail, and I'll make that ball orange or pink or whatever color I want. A dubbing ball. No, I actually use thread and then hit it with a little bit of UV glue. Oh, yeah, yep. And uh, so that's what I'll do next. I'll go in and I'll tie all the hot spots on and hit them with the UV glue. And then I'll and then I'll tie the fly because the rest of it's really simple. But, you know, tie in stages because you're not switching, so that's going to make you more efficient time-wise. And you're not jumping back, throwing your material around and that's one of my biggest efficiency thing is tying in stages when I have to tie a lot of flies. Gotcha. And what about, uh, what about proportions? Is there any, you know, I guess uh, I'm not sure if that applies to Euro nymphing. Oh, I guess it would. I mean, but is, do you have any tips it, on it making, yeah. Always pretty much half of what you think it should be okay. <laughs> is almost what I, there you go. what I go with, you know, because when I started proportions was the biggest killer. My dad and I will we'll talk about that with new tires. When we started, we struggled catching fish at the beginning. And when we started to catch fish, we compared the flies that we were catching fish on with the ones that we weren't. And it was the size of the body. It was, you know, you always, as a beginning tire, you always have a tendency to make your abdomens too big and just put too much dubbing on the hook or, too much hackle on a wet fly or something like that. And you don't need to do that. You want to keep it as thin as you can. And it's not just urine nymphing. It's everything like wet flies. You're imitating a hatching insect, a swimming insect. Well, 
it doesn't, you know, as it's swimming to the surface, it doesn't get fatter before it hatches from that casing. It's the same fish. It's the same insect, you know, so you got to keep it thin. Is there any other thing you can, you would recommend it as far as trying to get the right proportions uh, on a fly? I, one thing, you know, you always need to know what you're tying. So have, I was a taxidermist for 10 years before we started the, before we started the fly shop. And one of the biggest keys in taxidermy, the, the three, three main keys, to taxidermy and being good at it was reference, 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 mm-hmm. you know, you couldn't recreate something if you didn't know what it looked like. So get a book, get whatever you need, search the internet. There's tons of pictures out there on the internet. You want to try to copy the real thing. You're not, trying to reinvent the wheel you're just trying to improve the wheel so you know what i mean reference is the biggest key to it gotcha gotcha and which i think is often overlooked fly fishing fly tying right right yeah no i think people are trying to do different things and that's good as well but yeah i think uh kelly gallup who we had on in a past episode you know made that same point you know and having your fly i think he's got a couple of videos on it too where you should you know, you could hold the fly up in the, you know, the pattern you're tying and just, you know, see if it's at the right, you know, locations. You can see where to tie your thread on and where to do things like that. That makes sense. Well, your dad obviously was a big mentor for you. Um, did you have any other people, if you look specifically at the fly tying piece that, you know, kinda, oh, you think it was sure. It, it would be Jack, Jack Iga would be our mentor that taught us how to fly fish. And he's, uh, I think he just turned 80 this year. And, you know, we've been going to Kettle Creek every summer, every spring with him for 30 some years now. And he, he taught us not everything we know. He, he got us into it, got us, got our feet wet with it and has helped us and always encouraged us. And like mm-hmm. for my dad and I, there would be no bigger thanks that we could give anybody in the fly fishing world than, than Jack, I go, but I've definitely been blessed with, you know, in the past 10 years, a lot of the people that we've met along the way, being in the business. And yeah. Like, like last, last month I had the opportunity to get out and fish with Josh Miller mm-hmm. and Gordon Vanderpool is one of the, another one that really helps us along. And, uh, Gordon's a great guy. He's taught me so much when it comes to the Euro nymphing mm. and, uh, Josh is another, you know, Josh and Gordon are both coaches on the U S youth team. All right. Yeah. And so like, I've learned so much from being around guys like them that, Oh, Josh just blows your mind away watching him fish. And, and that's what I said. I get to fish with a lot of those guys that dad doesn't always get out of the shop for. So I ended up teaching dad what I learned from them guys, but I would never be where I was. And, and that's a big thing, you know, with fly fishing, I always tell people, it's minutes to learn and a lifetime to master hmm. cut the learning curve down and hire a guide and find out. I, I tried to learn nymphing on my own for three years until the point where I said, I'm not taking any other fly than a nymph. My, I'm only taking my nymph box cause I'll never learn to do it. If I didn't, well, I still never was productive at it. I caught fish, but I wasn't productive until I had one of my friends that knew how to nymph take me out and fish. Yep. And, and I really learned. So, you know, surround yourself with good people and, that's efficiency. You know, you want to be efficient fishing. That's it. Cut down your learning curve. That's it. That's it. And if somebody was, you know, wanted to go out to do the Euro nymphing thing, other than, you know, the fly tying, getting the right pattern, getting the right uh, setup with your terminal tackle, 
you know, if they're out there, any other tips as far as when you're getting into fish, I guess having the right rod, I mean, can you, and can you do it with just your normal nine foot rod or do you always have to have that longer rod? The longer rod is a benefit to you. I have done urine nymphing with, I've done it with a seven foot three weight before, but it, it, you know, you lose your casting, you lose, you lose a lot by having the long, the shorter rod. I I've done it a lot. I actually, um, I caught a real nice steelhead this year. I was Euro nymphing with an eight and a half foot four weight and caught a real nice steelhead on it. Hmm. But I was doing the same exact technique, you know, high stick in with inline indicator, just like a Euro nymph. And you, you can do it. It's just, you don't have as much of the control. You don't have a rod specifically designed for what you want to be doing. So it's like yep. going to the rate, you know, it's like being in a race and driving a station wagon and the other guys driving, uh, yeah. You know, sports car. Right. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, for yourself, are you, would you consider if you, if somebody asked you, you know, uh, are you a better fly tire or a, a better fly fisherman? What would you say? I would say I'm a better fly tire. Um, I, and, <laughs> and I, it's, it's funny. I am a better teacher than I am a fisherman. Mm-hmm. I'll, I, it's kind of weird. I'll get out fished by my friends a lot of time who I taught to fish. Oh yeah. And I took one of my friends who is learning the Euro nymphing process and, and was teaching him. And I taught him some techniques that I'd learned on dry dropper from, from Gordon. And I taught him, we were both fishing together, but you know, we were both fishing. I wasn't really teaching. I was just showing him what I was doing and, and he still caught almost twice as many fish as me. So gotcha. I'm a way better teacher than I am a fisherman. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to teach. It's, it, it's just, I always equate it to, uh, I had a friend that we turkey, I turkey hunted with and he never shot a bird. And I told him, I'm going to call in this bird and I want you to shoot it. And I called the bird in. I did everything. I put it in the lap. I did everything, but pull, pull the trigger on the gun. And you know, I, I, in essence killed that bird but he pulled the trigger yeah, and that's kind of what guiding is to me. I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing other people succeed and learn. And yeah. So I would rather do that than help myself fishing. And you consider it, um, you know, you're, you're a guide and not necessarily a teacher or, and, and then what makes a good, uh, a good teacher or a guide? Um, understanding, well, you know, with a guide, you have to know everything that's going on with the crick with a teacher. You have to understand what's going on with the person. And are you both, and are you kind of both, or do you consider yourself more of a guide or a teacher? Or, or I, I can say so a, a little bit of both, but more towards the teaching side. You know, when you're out with a client, you have to know if the client wants to hear stories or if he wants to tell stories, if he, you know, you have to yeah. kind of read your client just like you're reading your water. If you want to have a good day on the water with them and then know what they want to learn and what they already know. And, you know, if, if they're the kind of person, well, I already know it all. I'm just here to learn some new water. You just kind of let them fish. But if he's struggling and you see struggling, you try to help him as much as you can. So it's a lot of reading people just like you read the water. Okay. Okay. And, and, and reading people just is basically kind of listening or, I mean, is there any, any secrets, uh, any tips on that if for somebody who, I guess, or is that something you're just kind of born with that natural ability? Do you think, is that why some of the great guides I, are the way they are? I, I think there's a lot of, a lot to that. Yeah. Some of the guys are just natural people, people, yep. you know, I, 
uh, my wife it drives my wife nuts. We'll go somewhere and I'll be sitting, you know, in a park bench or something and just strike up a conversation with the guy beside me that I've never met before. That's just my personality. It's not my wife. My wife wouldn't make a good fishing guide because she doesn't feel yeah. comfortable talking to people like that. So right. you really have to be an outgoing person. Yep. That's right. What, um, what about, uh, tying, you know, I guess some of these zero, uh, nymphs as far as small flies, are, are you ever tying these things small or do you have any tips on tying small flies? Is that something that are, are most of these standard, uh, larger size? I mostly, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I said about Gordon here earlier, Gordon usually comes up and fishes with us in early May and, uh, every year we'll start fishing as soon as the ice is out and I usually start fishing big in the spring. And usually by the time Gordon gets here, I'm still fishing big and I'm not catching as much. And then when he gets here, he's fishing 18s and mostly like size 16s and 18s. And then I slap myself and say, oh, why wasn't I doing that too? And start fishing the small stuff after he gets here. But um, it's I tie really across the spectrum on it. But most of my tying lately has been like size 16. Yeah. has been an average. I know a lot of guys. I know one guy in particular. Waltz worms. He'll tie a whole box full of waltz worms in 16s, and that's the only thing he'll have with them, just in different colors and different weight, different weighted beads to, for different conditions, and he'll catch fish all day. Yep, yep. No, that's uh, yeah. point I, I mentioned earlier, but uh, Rick Hayfley was entomologist who was on in a previous episode, and he... Yeah, he made the point. I can't remember the exact. I think he said if you don't have 50% of your flies, or maybe it was even 70% of your fly, your nymphs in your box aren't size 16s and smaller, then uh, you might re- might want to rethink, you know, yourself. Because then also on with flies, you know, you pick up a fly, it, I think people just think they're bigger. You know, I think going smaller is probably a better place to err. Is that what you find? I mean, when you're out there, you, you put on... Oh, yeah. Definitely. And... My larger flies, I fish in dirtier water. You know, the yeah. clearer the water, the smaller the fly. And I, I take people with me all the time. And another thing that was hard for me to understand when I got into urine infant and I tried to preach to people, like, pertagons. Yeah. Pertagon doesn't look like anything, but it catches fish like crazy. And you think, why does that pertagon catch fish like it does? Well, I'll take people out when I'm guiding, I'll lift up a rock and I'll lay that pertagon down beside a mayfly crawling on the bottom side of that rock. And it's the same exact profile. Hmm. Doesn't matter what the color is. It's the same profile. And I think that's what the fish key on profile and size over yep. what it is, what color it is, anything, you know, as long as you're matching the profile and the size, they're going to hit it. Yeah. Gotcha. And when you're fishing, you know, if you're fishing that Euro Nif, are you casting, you know, typically, um, I mean, can you walk us through that? You know, when you make your cast, are you typically casting upstream and kind of working it down or how you're stripping it back to you? How are you doing that? Sure. I'm 90% of the time fishing upstream, occasionally across stream. You know, if I see a run, if I want to fish the soft edge on the other side of, of yeah. a run or something like that. But for the most part, I'm fishing straight upstream and a lot of times, I will let my drift go the whole way through and fish it like an emerger, you, you know, fish yeah. it as an emerger coming to the top. So I almost always finish my drift and I catch a lot of fish by doing that. You know, a lot of guys will, will fish it upstream, pull up when it gets to them and start again. And, and that's great. And my son is big on that because my son 
simple reason why my son catches more fish than I do. He sets the hook more than I do. Oh, yeah. And he's setting the hook on everything. And I'm, oh, I'm yeah. more of an analytical person and I'm thinking ah, rock, rock, rock. Ah, yeah. that might be a fish off the hook gotcha. where he's feeling, feeling rock and setting the hook. So are you, and, are you and, pretty much when you're fishing these, are you pretty much just uh, bump, 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 bumping all the way down or how do you keep from getting, you know, are you getting snagged much and all that? I'm not usually getting snagged. I'm trying to keep it right above, yeah, right so above you, the rod. And that's where the longer rod comes into play where you can really control. You don't want it to be just dragging the bottom. You want it to be just kind of bare, touching it every once in a while. Exactly. And you're controlling that with your wrist and your angle of your rod. Do you get no, tired? I'm not, Do you get tired at all? Is that is that a, is that something with that long rod where you're all? Are you holding it kind of above your head for the most part, or as high as you can? I try to teach people. Um, Gordon that taught me how to urine. If he always calls that the Statue of Liberty when they're yeah. holding it up high like that, you wear yourself out. Yeah, you, you don't need to do that. And what they'll teach the youth team, and and he's taught my son this, and. Uh, it's all in the wrist. When I was when I was young, I got the chance to go see Joe Humphreys give a presentation, and uh, I've met him many times since. But because he's just up the road from us, but he gave a presentation one time, and he was doing a casting presentation. He said, "Pretend you have a newspaper, stick that newspaper under your arm, and don't let it fall. Don't drop that newspaper from okay. under your arm, and now and now fish." And yeah. that's the way I teach my clients whenever I'm whenever I'm guiding them. You're anything. Keep that newspaper tucked under your arm and you control your rod angle with your wrist. Everything is in your wrist. Your cast is in your wrist. It's all done with your wrist. You, you know, it's, and your hook set is, is even snapping your wrist. So it, it's, that's a lot of my rod angle comes from, you know, if I'm fishing a deep hole, I want it straight up and down. I'm, I'm going to keep my rod tip up so I get it straight up and down. If I'm, fishing a fast run i'll cast it upstream and i'm gonna keep a, a an angle straight out a little bit more straight out where i'm gonna fish a belly in my line and watch for the belly to rise so you know it's all rod angle with your wrist it, it, it saves your arm and i can fish all day that way gotcha yeah okay cool so yeah that's that, uh that's a good tip to remember yeah and joe humphreys he was on uh, we had him on in episode 73 and yeah he we talked about the wrist a little bit more on the casting because you know, we talked about how some people teach, you know, or at least how I first learned is to try to not break your wrist. But he really talked about how he uses his wrist in the cast and that that really helps, especially in the I think we started talking about the wind, how especially in the wind, you can bust through the wind by, you know, really kind of hitting into the hitting into it with your wrist. So, um, yeah, Joe's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I do a lot of uh, water load cast. And it's all snapping my wrist, you know, yeah. casting it downstream, like letting, sort of thing, or yeah, yeah, letting it load up and snapping, just snap your wrist wherever you want it to go, and yep. and you can be real particular with your placement of your fly, and and, and you can do a, a nice tuck cast that way too when you when you snap gotcha. it up like that. Gotcha. Yeah, this is cool. I want to touch just briefly. You mentioned the competition, and I when I your your podcast, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, beer. What, what's the name of your 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 uh, new podcast? Bugs and Beard podcast. Yeah, Bugs and Beard. I love it. Love it because you have a nice, uh, nice healthy beard, right? Or, or do you? Do you yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. And a bunch of the guys at the shop, we have, we got some pretty good beards going on. So we get together and tie. Yeah, yeah. Usually in fall, and so that's kind of why we named it Bugs and Beards. How that's, we got that name? That's cool. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that. I, I've we talked about this a little bit on the competition, and I and I um, is interesting because on a past episode. 
I had this guest that brought up, it's funny because at the time it was earlier on, um, it was, uh, I hadn't talked about competition or even really thought, cause I haven't been in any competition fly fishing, but he brought up the point of how he thought it was kind of, you know, like almost he was against, you know, like competition fly fishing's bad for the sport of fly fishing. And I didn't really think much about it, but the funny thing is now I've talked to now almost 80 guests. I'm realizing that I think that's the minority. Most people just realize it's, you know, if people are into it, there's some cool things about it. What, what is, you know, what is the thing about the, with, with you and the competition and you have your kids or you've been connected to it? What, what do people love most about it? Well, I think catching fish, that's probably what people yeah. love the most. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just such a productive method and you get to, you get to learn from people who catch a bunch of fish. And so like, and, and it's funny that everybody's constantly learning There's, it's always something new every year, you know, when they have the clinics and stuff like that, they're always teaching a new, something new that they learn from the checks or the poles or yeah. when they were overseas fishing. It's not like I said about golf, learning to master. Well, golf is golf. You, you don't, you're trying golf is a lot of muscle memory and it's just trying to get to that perfect muscle memory. Well, here fishing is completely different in that. Well, there's a new technique we can drift your fly a different way to present it to the fish differently that makes them more susceptible to the eating it or something like there's always something new coming down the line and that's the cool thing about the fly the competition fly fishing is those guys are always learning always yeah. trying something new and and that's my mentality i'm always trying to learn something new studying something you, you know testing right I, yeah i i get bored easily and like right now, one of my kicks every now and then I'll, you got to get away from the fly tying when you do it as much as I do <laughs> right now. I'm playing around with making my own knives just for oh, cool. for fun, just to get a little break. Yeah. And, uh, so it, and it's just me trying to figure out keeping my mind busy. That's yeah. just the way I am. But fly fishing is that, you know, there's so many, you can fish a fly as a nymph, you can fish it as a merger, a dry fly, a spinner, like one fly comes off and you can fish it four different ways. Yeah. And you have to know what that is when you're on the water, which way they want to take it. That's why I love the sport so much because there's so much thought that goes into it. Yeah, totally. Is, uh, making knife, is that pretty straightforward or you're talking about you actually take a piece of steel and, and build from and build. The yeah, I, yeah. I haven't, I haven't got into the forging yet right yeah. now. I'm making them out of files because you don't have to heat treat them and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I've been grinding them down on files and making handles for them. And yep. it's been a lot of fun. But like I said, it's just something to, yeah. So you're instead not, of tying a stand fly or something, whenever I get bored. Gotcha. So you're not, you're not selling the knives in the fly shop yet. <laughs> no, huh? I'm yep. not, not getting that good at it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, well, we're uh, we're getting pretty close here. I just wanted to check into you know check back on the stoneflies, and I guess we've been talking a little a lot about the Euro nymphing stuff. Is there anything you would add just to help somebody maybe with their, you know, thinking about if they're tying up some Euro nymph style flies or stoneflies, and then then also on that Euro nymphing, anything else we, you want to hit on that would help somebody? Sure, you know, get out. One of the big things that I suggest is get out to the local fly tying shows join your trout unlimited chapter, get around other people, because if you're not getting around other people, you're not learning from them. And, you know, that was one of my problems when I started out. There wasn't a lot to get out when 30 years ago, there wasn't a lot to learn out there. 
I mean, there was, but it wasn't at your fingertips like the internet and stuff yeah. like that now. But get out there and surround yourself with people that know what they're doing. That, and it's a great sport. That's the thing about fly fishing. Like, you know, 98% of the people on the stream are going to be more than willing to help you. Like, hey, what are you catching them on today? Well, I'm catching them on this. You know, do you have any? Here's one. That's the that's the great thing and why I love the fly fishing industry so much is like, it's such a sharing and, and caring industry. The people, the people in it are great people, but if you don't get out there and don't be afraid, like go to the fly tying shows. When I was younger, I was intimidated by the guy sitting behind a bench tying flies. Now I'm one of them guys. And you know, yeah. I try to make it try to be, you know, as least intimidating as i can be i want to talk to you i want to share with you that's why we're there sitting behind the bench because we want to make the the people on the other side of the bench better tires better fishermen right and you're so there if, and you're there now with the uh, the youtube channel obviously you've got you know a good following there um can you describe what your youtube channel you know kind of what for somebody who hasn't been there what they can expect um what it's all about what you cover Sure. We, um, cover a lot of things on my YouTube channel. I, I have a ton of nymph videos. I, cause I fish nymphs predominantly. I've been trying to do a lot more dry flies, but it's just, you get on YouTube, type in whole singers fly shop and you're going to get to our, to our page. But, um, we do everything on there. I do some product reviews. Um, I have guest tires in the shop sometimes and it's, pretty much everything to do with fly tying and some fly fishing videos too. I'm trying to get into a little bit more instructional on stream videos, but it's a little hard to self shoot those. You know, yeah. I can set two cameras up here at the bench and take care and edit everything myself yeah. for my YouTube video or a tying video easily, but to get out on the stream and yeah, have somebody to, to put the rod down for the day to gotcha. How, is, is that's not always as easy. No, it's not. How, how do you, when you're tying your fly, doing your videos, how do you choose what to do your next video on? That's one of the toughest things. Like I said, I'm up yeah. to 270 videos or something right now. So, it, you know, it's hard to come up with something new. And you have to copy from other people. So, mm -hmm. you know, and I try my best to, to give credit when I do. And, um, but what I key on, I try to key on in my videos is I try to take, teach techniques not so much patterns mm -hmm. because when you teach a technique you're going to use that technique in other flies and you know if i'm the technique today let's say is by it you know splaying the tails with yeah. by it's stone fly mm -hmm. well there, you got your prince nymph you, you got other flies that you can use that on so i try to stress technique over pattern in my video yeah. and also, one of the other big misconceptions is, is when we have people come into the shop to buy material, they'll come in and say, well, I got to have this, 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 and this, because that's what the pattern calls for. Well, yeah, that's what the pattern calls for, but that pattern might be from Oregon and you're in Pennsylvania yep. and, and it's a blue winged olive, but the blue winged olive in Oregon may be more of a gray and maybe more green here. Right. You know, I'm just making something up here, oh, but yeah. you know, that you use what works in your area and you adapt to the situation. If you need, if you're tying and it calls for mallard flank and all you have is a, you, and all you have, or it calls for wood duck, but you have mallard. Yeah. That's close. Right. So it, you use what's close and you, you imitate the pattern and not so much the color because the color is not as big of a deal. 
So I try to, you know, try to teach people in my videos, listen, this is how they tie it. But this is what I have here in the shop and I didn't have to go buy something new. So I'm going to use this. Use what you have is one of the big things I stress. Mm -hmm. And uh, getting back to those, uh, the, the buy it tail, can you describe how, you know, you might tie those in or teach somebody to tie those in? Is that a pretty... Um, you know, are there a bunch of different ways to do that or what, how would you describe that? Is that something you could do over the, just by audio? Oh yeah, sure. I, it's very easy. I take and, uh, I tie my thread on my string. I wrap it back to the bend wherever I want my tail to be. And the simplest way I do it is I put my fingernail on the hook and then I'll make a ball of thread right at my fingernail. So it doesn't roll off and I'll make just a small ball of thread and enough that it will split the tails whenever like, I get there. Like, like now, 10, 10 wraps, 20 wraps. Yeah. Usually like around 20 wraps and, and what just thread enough are you, to make it, make it. And what I, thread I, are you, yeah. I'm a used UTC guy. I yeah. like to use UTC like 140 mostly. Yep. yep. I, I tend to pull a little too hard for 70, but, <laughs> um, I, I'm going to admit it, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, just make a little ball, and then I always hit that ball with a little bit of UV glue so that ball doesn't unwind later down the road when a fish hits it or something like that yeah. to secure it in place. And then I tie one by it on at a time, and I'll tie on one side and you know make three or four wraps, put the other one on the other side, and then I'll wrap it back to that ball, and as it hits that ball, it'll shoot right out at like a 45-degree angle, yeah. and you have a nice split tail. Right. Do you tie it on with a uh, kind of, I mean, on those goose bites there, I guess there's a concave sort of way to tie them. Are you ever tying it the opposite? I mean, you always want those to splay out pretty much on most flies. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll tie them like the two tops are the inside so they flare out, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They'll be opposite each other when I tie those. Okay, cool. And then what's another on, uh, you know, you well, maybe you can just describe your uh, your hot spot uh, for somebody that doesn't have it. I'll, I'll put a, a, a photo in the show notes, but what, what does that, can you describe what that thing looks like? Sure. In that case, that, that ball, like on my hot spot stone, that ball is, I have two hot spots on it. The ball is one. And then on the other end, I usually tie it with orange thread and I'll make the ball. And what's great is I do a lot of those hotspot stones with stretch tubing and you change the color of the thread under that stretch tubing and it changes. So if you get an amber stretch tube, you use yellow under it. You got a yellow, yellow stone fly. You use brown under that amber. You got a brown stone fly and you use black under it. You got a black stone fly. Hmm. So you only need one kind of stretch tube and you got three colors of yep. three colors of stone fly. So that's great. But then I'll come in, tie my whole fly, wrap my dubbing on, for the thorax and then I'll come in and just put a couple wraps of orange thread again to make a hotspot collar on it. Yep. So there, there you go. So just a couple of hotspots and the hotspots are just, does that signify anything, any natural sort of thing? Or is that just uh, strictly just getting their attention? I think it's just to get their attention. Yeah. I, I think the contrast and color, like one of the craziest things that I found, I tie a black stone fly, even a little black stone fly. I tie the same way as my hotspot stone, except I tie it all black. And if I put two pink by it wings, wing cases on it, I catch a lot more fish on that pink. Yeah. I think it's the contrast. I, I don't, I think the contrast of the color there gives them something to pick it up easier. And that's the only way I know to describe it. But for some reason, just those two pink by it's is enough. Okay. Um, and as far as the YouTube, we talked about, um, 
you know, uh, or you mentioned Tim uh, Camisa, and I mean, are there are there people out there that uh, you know on YouTube you you follow or you you love kind of the, their style? Sure, uh, Tim is a great one. Uh, I fish with Tim, and uh, yeah, we we have a lot of fun together. Another one is Tim Flagler. Oh yeah, great. I mean, he's just incredible. His production skills is crazy when it comes to the videos. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a ton of good tires out there. Jim Masora. It's funny. A lot uh-huh. of them are the Pennsylvania area here too. Oh, that's right. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Pennsylvania, New Jersey. There's a lot of great tires and uh-huh. on the East Coast here, but you know, anyone out there, Mac flies is a good one. Uh-huh. There, there's, there's a bunch of guys out there to watch. Yep. And, you know, just look at them. If it looks like a good fly, match it. Uh, Lance Egan does a lot of fly fish food. They've got a ton That's of right. videos. Up. Oh, they do. So, yeah. They have a lot of yeah. Euro stuff. Yep. So there's a ton, you, you know, and I have to, like I said, with 270, I'm always searching for something new. Mm-hmm. And so like, I look to Lance Egan and them guys for, for ideas. And, and usually it's, I look to them for the ideas and then I see, well, I don't have that. So I'm going to tie it this way and, and it still catches fish. I'm sticking with the pattern. Just, changing with what i have cool all right cool well sean i think we're about other i just got a quick little um random rapid fire round here for you this this shouldn't take uh too long um uh your favorite or do you have a piece of gear maybe that doesn't necessarily have to be fly fishing but it's kind of that you don't you don't leave home on a trip without it Anything, anything come to mind and uh, i've i've had you know in the past i've had people say you know a popular one has been uh a camera you know the, the cameras the uh, waterproof bags but uh but I have that's had, what i yeah is that my, what, my thought my thought right off the bat was the cell phone oh yeah, yeah. For, do you take your picture, photos yeah. with do you take a lot of your photos with your cell phone mostly with my cell phone yep. Yep. yeah yeah i go. rarely take i rarely take my cameras on the stream with me because i don't want to risk yeah and you don't bring a, I mean, I remember I used to bring a lot of times the old, you know, waterproof point and shoot, but I mean, the cell phone quality is just like way better, I think now than, I mean, I, I guess, pick my cell phone based on the megapixel of the camera. Yeah. And all it has. <laughs> you do. Not, not the other features. Uh, that's sweet. Yep. What's your, what's your phone? What phone do you go with? I actually have a, a Samsung, so it's yeah. not, it's a pretty good one, but yeah, no, yeah that's, that's it's a not Samsung. top of the line. Well, that's what they say. I mean, the Samsungs, I think, are better. Yeah, they have better uh, the uh, video, or at least the photos, better than the iPhone and stuff. So, yeah, cool. Uh, what about now? Um... now I do. Oh, I would ahead. say with the iPhone, that portrait mode is great for taking pic, pic, fish pictures. Oh yeah, there's a portrait mode on the new iPhones, and you just can't beat that for taking you know fish pictures. Oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. What about your? Um, do you have a? Uh, uh, kind of a, a vice what, what vice you typically tie with i for years and years and years probably 20 some years tied with a regal and i love my regal but i recently in the past four years switched to a renzetti traveler and i for production tying having that true rotary you cannot beat it i love my renzetti yeah yeah so you, you use that uh, quite a bit actually tying doing using the rotary Yep, I, I use rotary on a lot of my flies. When I can, you know, especially woolly buggers and things like that, you just can't beat it. Yeah. It saves you a ton of time. Exactly. Yeah, those are both. Yep, there's there's a ton of good vices, but yeah, it seems like those two companies are the ones that uh, are at the top for a lot yep. of people. 
Um, and what about your vices, uh, you know, and your, 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 you know, kind of, do you have any vices that are actually the things that maybe, you know, in your life you've kind of the, the, the other type of vice, things you've had to give up, maybe that aren't the best for you or the, anything that you currently have you do? <laughs> uh, I would say fishing is my vice. So is I it? haven't given it. Yeah. I actually kind of hunting used to be my vice uh-huh. and for a long, long time I was a diehard hunter. And last year I didn't even buy my hunting license. I, I got to the point where I would sit in my tree stand and not see anything and think, man, I could be on the river catching fish right now. No kidding. <laughs> and I kind of gave up hunting, but I still do. Uh, my wife and I are going to Africa next year on safari. So I, I haven't given it up completely, but for the most part I gave up hunting so I could spend more time fishing. There you go. There you go. I know that's, it's tough. I, I've kind of. I haven't given it up. I still do a little bit of hunting, but yeah, I just, with the kids and everything, I, I couldn't do everything. So I've, I've had to yeah slow down on the hunting as well, especially the, the duck hunting, which was one thing I was really loving getting into. Um, I, I do miss that a lot. I love duck hunting because you can sit there and talk to your buddies and then yep. you have to be quiet for a minute and a half when they come in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can <laughs> a lot of hanging out. Cool. All right. Well, uh, we're just about there, but I've been asking this, this question has been a fun one. Um, as far as uh, music, do you have any favorite bands or types of music you like to listen to? Ooh, I'm an, I'm an eighties country guy. Okay. Well, now don't tell me eighties country. So, that I mean, that was actually '80s country is great because that was before the '90s when all the the Garth Brooks and stuff really started coming. So you're you're into the uh, like Hank Williams Jr. stuff. Yeah, I like him. Oak Ridge Boys, Alabama. Oh, Alabama, yeah, yeah. My my wife and I just went to see Restless Heart. So. Oh wow, yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. So I, I like the old yeah one country this country. Totally, I'm I'm totally the same way. Yeah, and there, well, in the '80s too was that time when. You had the real old boys that were still around playing. You know, they were kind of uh, probably not yep. George Jones, and those guys were probably having the, the, that was their drug sort of the rough time, yep. you know, for them. <laughs> but uh, okay, cool. Well, I, I think that's about it, uh, Sean. Anything else? You know, you want to hit on I me? Mean, we've we it seems like we've been all around. Uh, it's always tough to focus on these things, but you know, we've talked a lot about your home rivers and stoneflies and, and the Euro nymphing. Yep. Anything you want to hit on to help somebody maybe if they're going out there for their first Euro trip? Uh just keep it simple, you know, go as thin as you, as thin as you feel comfortable with, with your leader to get it down as quickly as you can. If you're going to urine nymph, that's all, that's the key to it is getting it in their face and to get it in their face. You got to go as light as you feel comfortable on your tippet. So. There you go. And which is, what is, is light? Like how light do you go? For me, I usually fish a 5.5 X 5.5. X, uh, yeah. So, so yeah. you're in, and that's even when you're fishing a, a larger fly, is that pretty much your standard? Pretty much, yeah. Um, that's or if I'm using mono, it's usually three pound test. Okay, yeah. So you're you're fishing. Yeah, that's that's definitely light. And any any tips when you get a? I mean, are you landing getting into big fish on these? Oh yeah. Oh, my son last year he kept counting. I think he had twelve over twenty inches last year. Wow. That he landed. And how do you and, how do you avoid when you're using the the light stuff? How do you avoid you know overworking the fish? Is that a problem, or do you break off a lot? Uh, no, it's all, and that's one of the things you learn from competition fishing. It's all rod angle, um, keeping the pressure on them. Uh, if you know what around here, we call it walking the dog where if he's downstream from you, you put the rod tip down and you pull him upstream. You use his body oh, as yeah. like, like a planing board. You, you mean pull him up, pull him up, like point the rod at him or point the rod upstream and pull up. We pull. point the, point the rod upstream, yeah. like 
parallel to the stream upstream and drag him. He'll act just like a planing board on a boat when you're trolling and he'll just kind of go on his side and lay sideways and you'll pull him to get him up above you where you can control him. Yeah. Up above. That's right. Yeah. You don't want to let him go down. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. That's how you one. manage. It's all in rod angle. Gotcha. Okay, cool. In the next six to 12 months, anything new uh, we can expect from, you know, the fly shop, you or anything going on? Uh, pretty much same old, same old at the fly shop. Uh, you know, we'll add whatever new we can find out there that the people want and uh, YouTube keeping that the same. And you probably see me at a few more shows this year. Like uh, I think the month of March, I'm already booked up Long Island, Pittsburgh, Philly. So okay. I'll be around, be around the East coast here a good bit. Okay, cool. Um, this show likely will come out, you know, I'm going to schedule this out a little bit, but it's probably going to be coming out sometime in, uh, it might even be August, um, potentially depending on how it goes. But for your area, is there what in July, August, what's going on as far as what would you recommend somebody, what would be their first fly to put on there if they're heading up that way? Um, July and August, July, August is the end of it, but July and August, we are beetle and ant dry oh. droppers. Sweet. We're fishing terrestrials then. You know, you got to get on the bigger, colder streams, and, and we're fishing terrestrials. Awesome. All right. Well, we're <laughs> we're not going to hit on that. We'll have to leave that for the next one. But, you know, your podcast, well, I'll put a link in the show notes to that too. So I know you talk a lot about the competition stuff. Uh, you know, you focus on that so far. But, uh, yeah, maybe eventually you'll have some more information there on, on some of these other topics. But if they want to find you, if anybody out here has questions, just um, wholesingersflyshop.com. That's right. Wholesingersflyshop.com will take you to our website and you can get to the YouTube channel from there. You can contact me from there and uh, that's pretty simple. Perfect. All right, Sean. Well, thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time to, to share uh, you know, your little neck of the woods over there. It sounds like you're, you're in, the, in the thick of it as far as the, the big fishermen and fly tires. So um, I'm excited to hopefully get out there someday and you know, maybe swing a few flies or do some your nipping in your neck of the woods. But uh, until then, I guess we'll all keep in touch with you on YouTube and keep up the good work. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. See ya. Yep. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes with all the links we covered, just go to wetflyswing.com slash 94. Please click subscribe um, on your app of choice or go to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe. This will help us find a few more people and maybe help some people out there get into a few more fish and we'll uh, assure that you don't miss the next episode. Thanks again for stopping by and check out the show today. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. I hope to maybe see you online or on the river.